This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa Podcast. I'm going to rant here for a moment, folks, because I've reached my breaking point with the Biden administration when it comes to dealing with Donald Trump and his GOP enablers. We need to hold these people accountable and shut this shit down now. That election will go down as the crime of the century, and our country is being destroyed by people who perhaps have no right to destroy it. This notion that the nation, once Trump left office, would somehow return back to normal and embrace the better angels of our nature is misguided, wishful thinking. Frankly, it's reckless and dangerous. It should be that he can simply be reinstated, that a new inauguration date is set and Biden is told to move out of the White House. In their attempt to avoid looking overtly partisan by aggressively prosecuting the former president, we have left him room to agitate his base by continuing to propagate his big lie that this election was stolen. The idea that he will somehow come to his senses is fucking absurd. Supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, which you can do either through the skin or in some other way. Trump is a profoundly sick individual who is caught in a vice grip of delusion. Add to this his latest assertion that he will be reinstated as president this August. And the fuse has been lit for the next spasm of violence. But they say they may allow me back in two years. I'm uh, I'm not too interested in that. They may allow me back in two years. We got to stop that. We can't let it happen. So unfair. Even more, there are millions of people out there who support the tenets of QAnon and truly believe that there is a cabal of Satanistic pedophiles controlling the American government and support the use of armed insurrection to remove them from power. They are his shock troops in what has become a mass hallucination. Do you believe there's a ring of high-profile politicians who are kidnapping and sacrificing children? I do believe that. We don't sit behind a TV to see what's going on with the media lying to us every minute. We need to go out and find out what the truth is. It also believes that there's a cannibalistic uh, ring of pedophiles. And if that that comes to be true... Any group has this extremist. I see no way to remedy this anymore other than to throw Trump's fucking ass in prison and lose the key. Then and only then will this fever break. We need to meet force with force and come down hard on these agents of chaos who seek nothing less than the destruction of our democracy. Prosecutors tightening the screws on Trump. Nuke the filibuster and push through legislation that will protect the rights of all Americans. Enough is enough, folks. This needs to stop now or we'll be having the same conversation in August. Wondering how such a terrible attack occurred. A lot of Democrats say that you are standing in the way of their priorities, and one of them appears to be the president. He said earlier this week in Tulsa, talking about the frustration of getting things passed, he said two members of the Senate who vote more with my Republican friends. Depending on how you see it, he was either being honest about the limitations on what he can get done, or he's saying you're standing in the way of his agenda. Well, I think that was taken out of content, John. It occurred because we let it occur, because we continued to believe that fucking Donald Trump would come to his senses, or that his base would come to their senses, or these fucking cowards in the Senate would do anything other than look the other way and put their own careers ahead of the American people. Donald Trump was my friend um, before the riot, 
and I'm trying to keep a relationship with him after the riot. How did it come to pass that corporate America is now more willing to take on these issues than our own government? Just today, Facebook announced that it would uphold its ban on Donald Trump until 2023. But they say they may allow me back in two years. No, I'm, not, uh, I'm not too interested in that. They may allow me back in two years. We got to stop that. We can't let it happen. So unfair. Given the gravity of the circumstances that led to Mr. Trump's suspension, we believe his actions constituted a severe violation of our rules, which merit the highest penalty available under the new enforcement protocols. Nick Clegg, the vice president of global affairs at Facebook, wrote in a company blog post, Predictably, Trump issued a response via email that made him the victim and complained that the ruling was an insult to the record-setting 75 million people, plus many others, who voted for us in the 2020 rigged presidential election. They're shutting down an entire group of people, not just me, they're shutting down the voice of a tremendously powerful, in my opinion, a much more powerful and a much larger group, because you know what? When the Democrats say defund the police, open borders, your voice. Remember, I am not the one trying to undermine American democracy. I'm the one that's trying to save it. They shouldn't be able to get away with their censoring and silencing, and ultimately, we will win. Our country can't take this abuse anymore. Trump then used the statement to once again assert his ridiculous belief that he would be reinstated as president, saying, Next time I'm in the White House, there will be no more dinners at his request with Mark Zuckerberg and his wife. Zuckerberg broke the law, spending millions of dollars. Don't you think he broke the law? Millions of dollars to get out the vote efforts in highly Democrat areas. You know, he used to come to the White House. He'd call, oh, could I have dinner with you, sir? Sure. Could I bring my wife? Oh, absolutely. He actually walked into the office one day in front of numerous people. Congratulations, sir. Why? He said, you're number one on Facebook. He said to me, you're number one on Facebook. I said, thank you very much. I appreciate it. This is by no means a blanket kudos to Facebook. The steps they are taking to control the spread of disinformation, hate, and conspiracy on its platform are frankly too little and too late. The cat is already way out of the fucking bag. Pandora's box hasn't just been opened, it's been obliterated. It's alive, it's alive, it's alive! Facebook unleashed this monster and profited off it, and now needs to clean up what it has wrought. Now I know what it feels like to be gone. That said, it's at least a step in the right direction. There is action being taken, and Trump is being told, even if it's bad for their business, take your shit someplace else, and we don't fucking want you here. All of this occurred ahead of Trump's return to the public stage on Saturday, where he delivered a defiant and conspiracy-laden tantrum at the North Carolina GOP convention. More votes than any sitting president in the history of the United States, by far. We the appearance kicks off Trump's return to the road. His presence at rallies and MAGA strongholds will only serve to rile up an already agitated group and the renewed specter of violence as Trump pours gasoline on his big lie with hints at his reinstatement and obsession with these fraudulent state audits. 
President Biden may have announced that June would be a month of action to push back against the GOP's assault against democracy. So time will tell if this is just rhetoric or if he's finally serious about bringing the fight to the GOP and kicking their ass. For the main event. My next guest on Maya Culpa, Joy Reid, has reached her own limit with the GOP's failure to stop Trump and his endless insurrection. In a well timed rant on her Thursday MSNBC show, The Readout, Joy took aim at the Mango Macbeth Trump and his dubious election audits. Prior to The Readout, Joy served as a political analyst at MSNBC and host of the hit weekend news morning show, AM Joy. She's the author of three books, Fracture, Barack Obama, The Clintons, and The Racial Divide, We Are the Change We Seek, The Speeches of Barack Obama, which she co-edited with Washington Post columnist E.J. Dionne, and her latest book, The Man Who Sold America, Trump and the Unraveling of the American Story, which spent four weeks on the New York Times bestsellers list. Reed's show has become a must-watch for those concerned about the unraveling of our democracy under the spell of Donald Trump and the race for accountability to bring these bad actors to judgment. She joins me on Mea Culpa today to discuss Trump's recent assertions that he'll be reinstated and the dangers posed by continued democratic inaction to push back against an extremist GOP. So let's listen now to that conversation. In a Twitter post today, the great Asha Rangappa, who's a friend of mine, wrote, Trump's claim that he will be reinstalled this summer is a repeat of the same playbook that led to the January 6th insurrection. Now, give your followers false hope in a completely unattainable outcome so that when it inevitably doesn't happen, you can channel their disappointment into rage. Discuss with me, my listeners, if you would, what you believe to be happening behind the scenes here with this latest lie. Is Trump using it as a smokescreen and potential leverage against pending indictments? Or is there no coordination and it's simply more of the same with Trump clinging on to something that gives him a pathway to what he believes to rightfully belong to him and the blowback will be, what will it be? Well, first of all, Michael, I want to thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, I, I, I have really enjoyed having the opportunity to interview and get to know you. I don't know if people know, uh, I put a whole lot of your testimony before Congress in my book, The Man Who Sold America, because I feel like if it, you might have given us the greatest clarity about Donald Trump that we got during the whole process of impeachment, et cetera, and all of the trials and tribulations of dealing with Trump, because you really know the guy. You know, and when you said during um, that period when you were testifying that Trump wants to be an autocrat, that Trump is a racist, that Trump 
basically is unbalanced. You didn't use the word unbalanced, but that this isn't somebody like an average normal guy who becomes president. I really listened to that and I heard it. So I think the answer to your question is both, both. Uh, I listened to Donald Trump, you know, when he's walking out into people's weddings in Mar-a-Lago and I hear him prattling on and repeating the same stories over and over and over again. And I think to myself, this is a guy who's not well. This is a guy who genuinely has come to believe that the election was stolen from him, that psychologically he can't accept that he lost, that he is a loser, which his father, according to Mary Trump, his niece, drilled into all of the Trump children's heads is the worst thing you can be is a loser. And I think that he emotionally, psychologically, I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but I, I, I see in him a guy who can't accept that he really lost the election. And so I think he genuinely really thinks that somehow one of these nutty conspiracies is going to get him back in office. But I also think he's somebody who's afraid. You know, you talked about potential crimes that he committed in terms of crimes against the tax code, lying about his taxes, insurance fraud tax evasion. You think about all the stuff this guy's facing legally. I think this is also a defense mechanism because he does think this might be leveraged to say, I've beaten the government my entire adult life, cheating on my taxes and doing the wrong thing. I can still get away with it if I strong arm the country, even if that means violence against the republic. And then I think the third piece of it is what Asha Rangappa said, which I think is exactly right. Donald Trump right now is the leader uh, of, a, of, a, of a white nationalist, violent, insurrectionist cult. And these are people who, like Trump, cannot accept that elections in which non-white people get their way are legitimate. And so the fact that he's giving them false hope, like he did in December when he started saying we're going to have a wild time on January 6th, he's speaking to people who believe this, and who a lot of them are armed, a lot of them have military training, at least some of them do, and they're willing to do violence to put him back in power. So I think people should be much more afraid. Yeah, he seems like he's off the off his rocker, but that doesn't mean that he's not dangerous. Uh, agreed. Now, you said a couple of things in this response. And the first one that I have to uh, ask you about is you had a book, you included a lot of my testimony uh, before the House Oversight Committee, and God rest his soul, um, the Honorable Elijah um, Cummings. Yes. How, how much do I get from that book? <laughs> uh, <laughs> like Donald Trump would say, the check's in the mail. <laughs> by, the, by, the, that, by the way, that was a, that was a Trump-type question, right? Yeah. What, what, what's in it for me? But <laughs> to be <laughs> Now, do you really believe that he believes that he won the election? Because I don't. Right. And we talk about this a lot. We've talked about this on the show and we have some pretty good laughs, you know, here and there. I do believe that Trump knows that he lost, but he is a man with an incredibly fragile ego. And you're right. He cannot acknowledge to the world that he lost the election. Forget about the fact that somebody who has no qualifications at all to Forget about to be the president, really no qualifications at all, other than daddy was rich and he inherited or stole a lot of money from his family, but became the president of the United States of America. So the fact that he lost the second, right, his, the re-election should really be inconsequential considering he has far surpassed anyone's expectations 
of what he would accomplish, especially his own sister, Judge Barry, that when she found out that he was running, she called me on the phone to ask me, what is he doing? Michael, Donald can't run for the president. He's an idiot, right? I mean, this is his own sister who said it. And I believe Mary uh, Trump touched upon this, validating what I had said. Listen, Judge Barry is a very bright, bright um, individual and, you know, really achieved a lot in her life from law school to becoming a federal court judge. But I believe Donald Trump knows that he can't. But it's all about the grift. He's made more money off of the grift than he has in his entire career. And why would he want it to stop when right now everything is falling apart? He's going to need the money because of the DA and now the Attorney General Tish James's um, consolidation of the case uh, against him. He's going to need the money because everything else is failing. I Listen, you know him and I do not. So listen, it, it, and on the one hand, it is good news to me if you're saying that he is more mentally healthy than I assumed that he was, because I know that his father did die of dementia, uh, you know, at an age similar to the age he is now. And if you're saying he's mentally sound, I actually think that that makes me feel a bit better. But number two, I think that I cannot argue with what you're saying. This is a guy who Donald Trump, when I hear him speak, he sounds like a male Sarah Palin. He doesn't have a crisp command of the English language. He can't communicate the way a normal uh, verbal adult can. He has a hard time articulating what it is that he wants to say. You know, he's saying words that are often in jumbled order. This isn't a really super bright guy, right? We know just from his history that he was helped to get into Ivy League schools because he wanted the, the credential. But it's not like he was qualified to get in. And this is somebody who has gotten away with the equivalent of getting away with murder his whole life. Think about it. How do you get away with a whole lifetime of not paying your taxes? How do you get away with a whole lifetime of cheating business partners, of cheating, um, you know, workers who built Trump Tower with their bare hands, immigrants who he then would threaten to call immigration on if they just wanted to get paid? You know, underpaying the people who work for you, mistreating people, hiring undocumented immigrants and then attacking undocumented immigrants at the same time, being cheap and being cruel. And he's gotten away with all of it and had the media basically at his feet when he ran in 2016, even though he was obviously a venal racist guy. He did the birtherism thing and still had the media. They couldn't get enough of him. Right. He's been so lucky. You know, the reason I call the book The Man Who Sold America is because it's, it's he's like a salesman that's been able to sell this rotten product that breaks when you get it home. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. When I was a kid, though, a young person, like the first time I ever bought a car, I didn't know anything about buying a car, right? I had had my mom had gotten me a car back when I was in Denver, but I had never bought my own car. I went and bought this car and it was cheap and it, I didn't have a lot of money. But somebody sold me a car for like 500 bucks. The thing broke down two blocks from where I bought it in, in, in Queens. And literally, I tried to take the car back, and they're like, "You can't have, you can't get your money back." I got suckered, right? I was, you know, it's eighteen years old. But the reality is, Donald Trump's been selling people that car his whole life and getting away with it. And you're right; he probably can't emotionally handle that he's finally getting caught. He cannot. Hi, folks. Michael Cohen here, and we've got an amazing sponsor for this episode: the Jordan Harbinger Show. Things can get pretty intense discussing American politics, so if you need a break from the news cycle and want to hear incredible storytelling that is both fascinating and actionable, you have to check it out. 
Make sure to download last Thursday's episode with astronaut Mike Massimino, who sent the first tweet from space and wrote Spaceman, an astronaut's unlikely journey to unlock the secrets of the universe. It's truly incredible, folks. The show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests. And there are a ton of episodes you'll find interesting since you're a fan of this show. Like the May 27th episode with radio personality Charlemagne the God. Discussing his book, Black Privilege. Opportunity comes to those who create it. There's an episode for everyone, though, no matter what you're into. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger somehow made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. Jordan's also done an episode all about birth control and how it can alter the partners we pick and how going on or off the pill can change elements of our personalities. The podcast covers a lot, but one constant is his ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. I promise you, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life, whether it's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. We really enjoy the show, and we think you will as well. So search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And, you know, one of the things that I brought up, and I was going to bring it up on the next show that I come on yours, but I figure since I have you on mine, I may as well. And I really do believe this. I believe that Donald Trump is playing insane with all of the crazy stuff that comes out of his mouth. I think he's going to try to raise an insanity or a dementia defense um, when, in fact, that he's ultimately convicted. And he knows right now that things are getting hot with the district attorney as well as with uh, the attorney general's now probe into him, his eponymous company, and so on. And how do we know that? Because... Wall Street Journal just put out a, um, an article, I believe it was the Wall Street Journal, about Jeff McConney being called to the grand jury. Now, Jeff McConney, just to uh, give the folks here uh, an idea who he is, he works for the Trump Organization. He's a senior vice president, and he works directly and solely for Alan Weisselberg, the chief financial officer. So the way that it works at the Trump Organization, as I've explained to the DA and to others, is... Alan Weisselberg gets the, we'll call it an invoice. He signs off on it after, of course, he acknowledges that it's legitimate and that we weren't able to squeeze them down. And then he gives it to Jeff McConney, who books it. So Jeff McConney is the actual link between the Trump organization and all of the banks. I mean, I've seen in Jeff's possession, he has like 30 different bank keys. They're like fobs. And the numbers obviously change, and that's in order to prevent people from hacking into the accounts and so on. But every single dollar that's moved, which is done at the direction of Donald Trump, using Alan Weisselberg as the gatekeeper, the actual transaction is done by Jeff McConney. And that's just how the system works. So now they had Jeff McConney before the grand jury. And that cannot be good because Jeff McConney is actually a pretty decent guy. And he's not going to lie. He certainly doesn't have money because Donald doesn't really pay anybody well. So he doesn't have money in order to fight unless Trump is 
alleging he's going to pay for his legal fees, very much like he claimed mine. And then Jeff has to understand he's going to get stiffed. He's seen he's been with the company for about 20 years, and he's seen too many people uh, in his position and people he worked closely with get stiffed and thrown out of the company. So Jeff isn't stupid. He's definitely not going to play into Trump's um, into Trump's game or Alan Weisselberg's game. And he sees the walls are beginning to close. The problem with all of us is very much like the concept of Google. We want our information and we want it now. But the wheels of justice, as I put in several of my tweets, it turns slowly, but it ultimately brings it to full circle. It's just taking a lot more time. People are impatient because everyone's eyes are open and we see the grift. We see the illegality. How can I go to prison for another man getting his pecker pulled by a porn star and I, I was as clear as I possibly can be when I turned around and I said that this was at the direction of and for the benefit of individual number one, individual number one being Donald J. Trump. How is it that I end up going to prison and he ends up scot-free? Alan Weisselberg gets limited immunity. Then the Southern District of New York had like 10 or 12 sealed indictments. They just walk away from it, claiming that there's not enough information within which to indict. This is where I call upon Merrick Garland. I call upon Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to do what you promised to do, and that's to clean up what Trump left in terms of dirt in this country. And that's what I really want. I want to see a Department of Justice investigation into Trump's weaponization of our Justice Department through Bill Barr. And why they're not doing it, I don't know. Well, you know, Michael, and you know, one of the people that you might want to ask some of those questions is also Cy Vance. Cy Vance has been in office a long time. And Donald Trump has been doing dirt in New York a long time. I almost feel like Cy Vance, this is sort of his redemption song, right? He's finally going after him. He didn't go after him before. You know, he let the kids get off scot-free. They were committing crimes using their charity. And you're absolutely right. It feels in a lot of ways like the final marks left. The last people that Donald Trump is able to scam right now are his followers, They're the last people left who are willing to believe the grift. They're willing to send $25. And look, I still get the texts. So I signed up on one of my phones for the text from the Trump campaign just so I could see what they were saying. And when I tell you, they ask for money every day. And I'm sure that some little old lady or little old guy out in Queens somewhere who really doesn't have any money is sending in cash to Donald Trump. And he still can grift those people. Those are still the suckers who are willing to help him out. What scares me is not just that he's going to rob, you know, a bunch of little old people who have demographic panic and are afraid their neighborhoods are changing. And so they're like, Donald Trump can save me and make it back into the 50s, which he can't. What scares me is the ones who believe the grift who are willing to get violent. And I don't doubt and I and I, you know, I would throw it back to you because, again, you know, the guy I worry because he already shown us that he is willing. He's willing to let violence be done on his fellow Americans. He's willing to let violence be done even on Mike Pence, who's still sucking up to him to this day, making excuses for him. He's willing to let people hang Mike Pence to save himself. He's willing to let Mitch McConnell, who's been his bag man for the last four years, hang in order to save himself. And he's also willing to let violence be done to any of us. And we are all at risk because he has triggered, if you listen to the Southern Poverty Law Center, 
Donald Trump's presence has tri- has triggered a vast, sharp increase in white nationalist uh, membership and violence. It ratcheted up when he started running for president and saying the things he was saying to trigger them. And now those are his shock troops. And I worry about what those shock troops are going to do, because a lot of these are armed, trained, dangerous people. And look, he's setting it up for August when he keeps talking about how August he's going to be reinstated. What's going to happen when he's not reinstated? Hey, folks, look, let me be very crystal clear on this. All right. And I put this out in a tweet, and I think, Joy, you even uh, liked it or retweeted it. I turned around and said, the chance that Donald Trump is going to end up being reinstated as president is the same likelihood that tomorrow I will grow two feet, being eight feet tall, and play center for the New York Knicks with a billion-dollar contract. It's Come on, just not, It's just not going to happen. Now, the Knicks could have used me, but... That, of course, being put aside, it's just not going to happen. There's no mechanism for this to even possibly happen. And, you know, I really wasn't joking. I wanted to bring that insanity defense opportunity, you know, onto your show because I think it's I think it's funny, but I think it's true. You know, that's what makes things funny. Sometimes there's a truth to it. And it's so batshit crazy that it's funny because it's my assertion that he will use this as an opportunity to cop an insanity plea and thus prevent himself from being indicted on the grounds that he's mentally unfit to stand trial. Now, we've seen this happen before, right, with the chin, Gigante. And we know that Donald Trump takes a lot from the playbook of the mafia, from guys like Roy Cohn and others. The chin did this forever, walking around, drooling on himself in a in a bathrobe, right, It was in order to cop this insanity plea. Now, as much as he fears sounding and looking like the loser that he is, his fear of prison is substantially worse. If you could discuss this with me, do you think that I'm the insane one for coming up with a theory like this? No. I mean, look, first of all, again, and I put it back to number one, you're a lawyer. So you you, you know the legal sort of construct. I was a a lawyer. I'm disbarred now. You uh, well, I mean, you're you're better. Listen, I'd rather have you remain a, an attorney at law than Donald Trump ever have been president. Or I'm just going to say that right now. Um, the reality is, I don't think there's anything just from, you know, having talked to not just you, Michael, but other people who've known Trump for a very long time, who've either covered him as journalists or who knew him. I can I can recall meeting somebody who I won't name a very wealthy person who knew knows Donald Trump and has known him a long time. I ran into him at a charitable event. And I asked him what he thought of him. This is when Donald Trump was running. And he laughed. And he's like, first of all, he said the same thing. Donald Trump is an idiot, you know, and he wouldn't even really want to be characterized as his friend. And he said, he's also the most dishonest person. He's like, he's, he's so dishonest. He won't even be honest during a game of golf. He's just dishonest, <laughs> you know. And, then, you know, I've met people in the banking world who you know, said, yeah, our bank lent to him. We never got our money back. Like, you, I've never met one person, not one, ever and this is the God's honest truth that um, to, to you, me, and your podcast audience, Michael, who has said, Donald Trump, yeah, he's a good guy. Even people who support him, who still to this day support him, will not say, but he's a good man. And I've never known anyone like that. So do I doubt that he would try to cop an insanity defense to get out of you know consequences, which he's never had to deal with his whole life? He's never had a single consequence for what he's gotten away with. The father protected him. His family is protecting him. People lie for him. You, for a long time, were out there protecting him. He used your skill sets to protect him. I remember you used to be on CNN defending the guy. And look what he did to you. He didn't even, he wasn't even grateful. 
He's not even grateful when people help him. So the reality is, do I think that, do I think he throw, when you said on my show that he would throw his kids under the bus, I did laugh. And the clip is funny because I'm like cracking up. But it's true. Of course it's, it's true. because it's true. It's yes, it is. It is crazy. And it is true. Listen, when this whole thing happened and um, Cy Vance was bringing the investigation into Don Jr. and Ivanka for lying regarding the Trump Soho project, Donald looked me right in the face and said, Michael, if it's one of the kids has to go, let it be Don. Ivanka would not be able to handle And I'm saying to myself, because I have two children. I have a girl and a boy. And I'm saying, I could never say one or the other. I wouldn't want either of them to go. But he was being very transactional there. If it has to be one of them, I'd rather be my least favorite of the two. And that, of course, was, was Don Jr. Because he would shit on Don Jr. every single day. He would constantly say, and this is his words, Don has the worst fucking judgment of anyone I have ever met in my entire life. And that's verbatim. That's a quote verbatim from Donald himself about his son. And anytime that anything happened with Don Jr., whether it was with Trump Mortgage or with his property in, North, in, in Charleston, North Carolina, it made no difference. He always would say the same thing, that this kid is the worst fucking judgment of anyone that I would ever, that I've ever met in my entire life. And he would say it in front of anyone and everyone while Don was sitting there in the corner like a dejected, rejected child that he was. Look, all the children have the same issue. Donald was not there as a father. He wasn't this, you know, um, ever-present individual. He was there just by name only. And each one of the kids would shipped off to boarding school where they went ahead and that's where they grew up and they came back. The, you know, the, the mom was, is, you know, she tried as hard as she possibly could, but they had no real relationship or no love and affection from their father until basically recently. It even, wasn't even the fact that they worked for him. Yeah. And he would say to them, I'll fire your ass like I would fire anybody else's. And that was always the way that you came into work, believing that today was going to be your last day, including myself. That's how we all believe. So each of these kids says something crazier, more stupid, more antagonistic, but on message with what Donald wants. And then they get the affection that they want. They get an acknowledgement from their father. It's really mental abuse. And he's managed to not just mentally abuse this country, not just myself, but his children as well. And that's the lowest of low. Yeah. I mean, when I saw that Donald Jr. is making like $500 a pop happy birthday videos, this, you know, you're supposedly the son of a billionaire, which he was not a billionaire. Obviously, we now know that's not true. But wow, your father's supposedly rich. Why are you selling happy birthday clips on a, on a, on a website? Like, are you going to like do an OnlyFans next? <laughs> like, is that how you have to make money? It's pathetic. It's embarrassing. But you know what? I have a hard time having any empathy because they're such jerks. Right. I mean, the thing is, like, I feel bad for what happened to you, Michael, because you've like really like exposed your soul. Like you've talked about what you had to deal with and what you were you know, doing for him. And you like came forward with it and were honest about it. I don't feel bad. I, it's hard for me to feel bad for his kids. Am I a terrible person that I don't feel bad for them? Because to no. me, you're just like him. No, you're actually not. And it's sad because 
each and every one of them, again, they're emotionally deprived from their father. Now, they could say whatever they want. Oh, it's not true. We had a loving family. No, you didn't. Right. Don Jr. himself used to say, I don't want to be anything like my father. In fact, when Eric would start acting like Donald, whether it was in a meeting or something, Don would stop and he would say, Eric, stop trying to be like dad. You're not fucking dad and you don't want to be. And these are his words, not mine. Right. And Don never wanted to be like his father. He would always say to me, I want to be the kind of father that my father was. And I want to be able to take my kid into Central Park and throw around the ball. I never threw around the ball with my father. In fact, the only times I was ever with my father, he would take me to um, sites, to construction sites and have me pick up nails that weren't destroyed and put them in a box. And he'd give me like a dollar a box. And I would say to him, that's yeah, pretty sad, right? So he goes, I just want to throw around the ball, kick around the ball, play baseball with my, you know, with my kids. Meanwhile, what did he do? He ends up leaving a wonderful, wonderful woman. And he ends up going with this dirtbag, right? This four-time fucking loser, right? Sitting there screaming. They're all coked up on God knows what these days, acting like total assholes. And why are they acting this way? Because this is the only way that dear old dad acknowledges them. And it's really, it's really abuse. And it should be classified as child abuse. Yeah. And my question is, are they really even going to inherit anything? I mean, my understanding is he's he's got four hundred million dollars of approximately in debt. He's got tens of millions of dollars in IRS back tax debt. You know, if they're doing it for the inheritance, to inherit what? Look, I don't know yet. We will all know much, much more. I believe, like you, that Donald Trump owes a ton of money in terms of back taxes. Now as an experienced person in this, because I was charged with tax evasion, even though in my own papers that I put forth, so I'm not coming up with anything new, it wasn't tax evasion. I've never not filed taxes. I never, like Paul Manafort, had an overseas bank account. Lanny Davis went on every show talking about the disproportionate sentencing. Mine was $1.3 million over five years, or $260,000 a year, which I paid before sentencing. I never took a dollar from anyone like Mike Avenatti did. I never took a dollar from anybody, including the judge. And the only right thing that he decided was the fact that I never owed a dollar to any person or any institution ever. But yet they gave me 36 months for this and everything else, claiming I was the worst person around. Okay, it is it is what it is. But there's something called the fraud penalty. And it is like 110, 120% of the amount that you owed. So if he owes 300 million, He's going to owe 650 between the fraud penalty on top of that. He doesn't have $650 million, so he's going to have to start selling assets. Now, what assets does he have that has value? Well, there are some. Let's talk about, for example, his Seven Springs property, which is an item that is obviously has been reported widely that is under investigation. So let's say it's worth $50 million or $60 million. Right. He bought it for six point two. So he has a fifty four million dollar capital gain on that, which means you're paying city state, you know, taxes on to it of about 50 percent. So after everything, that's 30 million. Well, that's a far cry from how much you're going to owe. So he's going to have to start selling off not the golf courses. The golf courses don't have real value because they don't make money. So if they don't make money, Who's interested in buying it and at what multiple? So he has to sell off income-producing assets. And the only two assets 
that he really has that are income-producing are the ones that are being operated by Vornado, the 1290 Avenue of the Americas and the building, the Bank of America building, I think it is, in San Francisco. Those are the only two performing assets, and they perform because he has nothing to do with them. The rest he's going to have to start selling off more and more and more. And again, he has very low basis, so therefore he has all this capital gain. He's going to end up with, as you said, very little, and the kids are going to end up with very little, which is sad because none of them have the qualifications to earn a dollar. Word of warning for all you Vax warriors out there. Getting your COVID-19 vaccine is something to celebrate. But think before posting a picture of your vaccine card on social media. It contains personal information like your name and birth date that can be used by cyber criminals to steal your identity. You put your information in so many places online. Unfortunately, cyber criminals around the world keep finding new ways to steal identities. The all-in-one protection of Norton 360 with LifeLock makes it easy to have protection in the digital world. Norton 360 with LifeLock gives you comprehensive protection for devices, online privacy, and identity. Device security blocks cybercriminals from stealing information. VPN with bankrate encryption helps keep information you send over Wi-Fi safe. LifeLock Identity Theft Protection monitors your personal information and alerts you to potential threats. Now, no one could prevent all cybercrime and identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but if you have Norton 360 with LifeLock, you can opt into cyber safety. So sign up today and save 25% or more off your first year by going to norton.com Cohen. That's 25% off Norton 360 with LifeLock at norton.com slash Cohen. The weather's getting warmer and I'm amped to start grilling again. One of the things I'm always worried about is how do I know when the meat is ready and I'm always praying it's not overcooked. This new product I came across makes sure I won't mess it up and tells me exactly when it's ready to come off the grill. Meter is a sleek Bluetooth meat thermometer that keeps an eye on your food and lets you know when it's ready to eat. It gives you a countdown for the cook so you know how many more road sodas you can sip before you have to get back to the grill. Super simple, super easy, with perfect results. I can't tell you how many steaks I've ruined from overcooking, but it's a lot and there's nothing more traumatic than seeing that beautiful cut of meat you bought reduced to shoe leather. Well, not anymore. With Meter, it's perfect steaks every time. And my wife thinks I'm some kind of super chef now. It can be used in a grill, a smoker, oven, sous vide cooking, air fryer, rotisserie, literally anywhere. And comes with cloud service with limitless range so you can still monitor the barbecue while hanging at your neighbors or running to the store. Monitor your steaks or chicken in the app so this way you can kick back Relax and pretend you're doing a whole lot more. This is the perfect tool to be a grill master and to buy for Father's Day if you haven't been shopping. Get 10% off with code COHEN when you shop at meter.com. Again, get 10% off with code COHEN at meter.com. That's M-E-A-T-E-R.com. It's barbecue season, folks, so let's get grilling. Let me just keep moving on here. But what I don't understand about 
you know, what's going on with these election audits that are happening in Arizona and Georgia, and most likely now Pennsylvania is going to add um, themselves into this, is what's supposed to happen after the audit is concluded. Is the idea that they'll find some massive voter fraud that will throw the state into doubt or back to Trump and then he would be reinstated as president? I mean, the concept is so outrageous and it's just so novel, right? Who is supposed to make all of this happen? The Justice Department, the Army, the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys? Who? That is the what is, is frightening. And that's where Asha is absolutely right. So here's the problem. They've created a solutionless problem, right? They're saying there was all this fraud. We did all these, you know, 60 different court cases that couldn't find this supposed fraud. There were multiple recounts in all of these swing states. Remember, they're all they're focusing on the states that Donald Trump expected to win but lost. Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, those states, right? That's the states that he's fixated on. So they're going back to those states and trying to count them again. They can count him a thousand times. He's still going to lose. He won't have a, he won't, there's nothing they can do. If they find five people who voted from the wrong address or five people who turned in their absentee ballot and then died before the ballots got counted, you're not going to find tens of thousands, a hundred thousand, 40,000 votes that were somehow fraudulent. I mean, they're going to the point of saying that the ballots were, were shipped to Germany uh, on military planes or, or, or flown in from China. And if they look, they'll find the bamboo to prove it's bamboo paper. The stuff they're saying is absolutely bananas. None of this is going to pan out. But what I worry about is that they're putting the false hopes. Remember, there are people who seem normal and seem rational who believe in QAnon, which is that there's a global cult of Satan-worshipping pedophiles who run the world. And there are people who are walking around you right now, maybe being your dentist, your doctor, a nurse, your you know people that you think are quite rational, who might be serving you food or putting a needle in your arm, who think that's true. And so a lot of these same kinds of people believe that there is some magical thing that's going to happen that's going to reinstall Donald Trump in August. But here's what they don't understand. Let's say that in some magical world, they found 100,000 fraudulent ballots, enough to overturn the result in Arizona. That is not how it works. You Elections in the United States take place on the first Tuesday in November. There isn't another one. There's nothing in the Constitution that lets you do it again. There is no thing that you can do after the inauguration of the next president to retract the inauguration and inaugurate the loser. Nothing can change it. There are a lot of people who believe, and I'm you know, one of them, that something real fishy happened in 2000 in Florida, that something was wrong. You had Jeb Bush purging tens of thousands of people, the same way that Brian Kemp did in Georgia, off the voter rolls, caging voters. Anybody named Gonzalez? There's two of you. You're off. There are three people named Gonzalez. We're going to say all three of you are fraudulent voters. They did everything they could to make it so that George W. Bush would win. And they stopped counting at the most strategic time. This went to lawsuits. It went to the Supreme Court. Even if some, you know, journalist, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist went back and found out that, aha, the 2000 election was stolen. Nothing would happen. (laughs) Nobody would go back and reinstate George W. Bush retroactively and say he was the president. I mean, I'm sorry that um, Al Gore was the president. It's not how the system works. So they're they're creating a, a problem that they cannot solve. And so inevitably, when Donald Trump is not reinstated as president, which ain't gonna happen as you started off this whole interview saying, then what? Do they storm the Arizona State Capitol? 
Do they storm the Pennsylvania state capital, the Wisconsin capital, the Michigan capital like they already did? I worry that violent people who are not sound mentally now because they've been spending a year locked up on lockdown on Twitter and on Facebook reading these insane conspiracy theories, they do something violent. They do something crazy. And then people get killed. Cops get killed. Civilians get killed. And we have what basically amounts to a low-key civil war. That's what I worry about. And you have the right to. And I worry for, you know, for this country as well. Um, You know, Joy, the Democrat response to four years of Donald Trump seemed to partially hinge on this idea of a return to normalcy. But there is an obvious push by the GOP to prevent that from happening. Now, nothing is normal at the moment from the assault on voting rights to the infiltration of the GOP by the Proud Boys and other extremist groups at the state and local levels, right, as they run for seats in the state legislature um, and push their crazy agenda. How do how do Democrats push back against this rising tide, counting on people wanting a more rational, normal country now seems to just be wishful thinking. Discuss yeah. this with my listeners. It, 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 I don't understand the Democratic response. I, I was just having this conversation um, with, uh, with one of my bosses a little while ago where I was just like, venting my frustration that I don't understand the back to normal thinking of Democrats where they, they have this mild mannered response to what is a first of an alarm bell defcon 1 crisis and they are just calmly and casually saying we'll just do policy we'll do great policy we'll make sure everybody gets their stimmy we'll do some roads and bridges somehow they think that's going to pass with republican intransigence they think they can just fill the potholes and everyone will feel so good about the normalcy that we won't have to worry about losing our democracy and that we'll just have a nice election where Democrats will win. They'll get reelected and get elected based on the fact that they've delivered on policy. That ain't the way that you fight a revolution. What you're seeing is people on the right trying to have a revolution in which only the votes of white Americans who vote for Republicans will count. Everyone else will either be barred from voting in some way, prevented from voting, hurdles will be made so high they can't vote, will make it so hard for people who prefer Democrats to vote that there's no way Republicans can lose. If you think that if Republicans win that way, we won't have a conflagration, you're not paying attention. If you think that Republicans are ever going to stand down and vote for an infrastructure bill and do policy stuff with Joe Manchin and be bipartisan, you're not paying attention. If you think that In any universe, Republicans are going to allow a bill to pass that would make voting easier, that makes more people uh, able to vote, more people able to get to the polls. You're not paying attention. Adam Serwer has a great piece that I recommend your, your listeners, Michael, read, which is so good in The Atlantic, in which he talks about the fact that the January 6th rioters already have won. Because the problem is with the way that we think about policy and the way we think about politics in this country is that we assume that only the people who stormed the Capitol don't believe in democracy. But we forget that right now the Republican Party, as a lot of Republicans I know are saying, is now a party that doesn't believe in democracy. They don't believe that the majority should win. They don't believe that the rising majority, which is multiracial, should, should, should win and should ever be able allowed to win. And they fundamentally believe that when Democrats get elected, it is it is illegitimate 
de facto illegitimate because of who votes for Democrats. And so while the the people who stormed the Capitol, the, the, the people who did the siege, the MAGA siege, they used violence. Regular Republicans, they're doing violence against our, our right to vote. So 400 plus bills passed across this country or, or proposed across the country from Texas to Florida to Georgia to Wisconsin, all over the country, Missouri, they're trying to make it so hard to vote that only their people will be able to vote. That's also violence against our system. Yes. And that's the Trump ideology. How many times did I say it, whether I was before the House Oversight Committee to any of the committees on your show and so many other shows, what Donald Trump said? Blacks, Hispanics are too stupid to vote for him. So therefore, your vote should not count. So if you're too stupid to vote for him, you're too stupid to vote. Therefore, your vote shouldn't count. And I remember many years back, going back to 2015, we were talking about Vladimir Putin, who happens to be, you know, somebody that Donald looks up to. He looks up to him because he is, in essence, the dictator of Russia. And he took the power himself after Yeltsin, Right. And he basically put himself in as the pro-tunk king. And one of the very famous lines that I remember telling Trump that I had heard from friends of mine was that Putin's ideology is it doesn't matter who you vote for. All that matters is who's counting the vote. And that's Donald Trump's ideology in his mind. So therefore, if that's true and you could take away the votes from people who in his opinion are too stupid to be allowed to vote since they're not voting for him we already have the answer right we have a we have b and a equals c and c has to mean that donald trump has to be inserted in august as the president to which people don't realize this if he would have won the re-election he would be trying to figure out right now the only thing he'd be doing how to stay in power for the rest of his life and be able to then transfer that power to his family because that's what he wanted from day number one i i i 100 believe you because the, the way that democracies fall is normally through an election right vladimir putin was elected and then he just never left you know, I think about Bibi Netanyahu. He's been in there 12 years and he's still studying to try to stay. And he's got the similar corruption issues to Trump. He doesn't want to leave. He'd be prosecuted if he left power. You know, you have a lot of these guys who are committing corruption. You think Viktor Orban was not elected and then just was like, I ain't leaving. We're having this issue in Poland. They tried it in Italy to have the fascists come back. And they, all you have to do is get elected that one time and then figure out a way to not leave because the only way to protect yourself from the consequences consequences of your corruption or illegality is to be the guy in power. Because it's not just who counts the votes. It's who controls the prosecutors. It's who controls the, the, you know, the remedies of law. And when he had Barr, William Barr in place, he controlled everything because Barr was willing to cover up any crimes he, that were for his allies and prosecute. I mean, you remember very firsthand, Michael, that you just for writing a book, they were willing to throw the book back at you again. And you had somebody named Barr who was willing to do that. So once he got rid of Sessions, who was corrupt in his own way, but wouldn't do that, he had his man. And if you control the White House and you control the FBI and you control the Justice Department, you don't ever have to leave. And so what I worry about is, yeah, he cannot come back that way, but we still have another election. And I, I don't know if even if he were decrepit, prosecuted on his way to prison and in manacles, his base wouldn't try to put him back in by an election. And if he gets back in, whether it's in 2024, 
How do we get rid of them? I don't know. Yeah. And look, you're right. I know it all too well when they remanded me back. But it's not just Trump who's corrupt. It's not just Bill Barr, who I'm saying on this show is fucking corrupt. But it's everybody down the line that went along with it, whether it was this Adam Pakula, whether it was Nicole Gulliver, whether it was, you know, from Otisville, whether it was um, you know, a handful of these people that participated in my remand back to prison. Somebody should have stood up and say, wait, 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 this is, this is not true. The things we're putting in our affidavits are absolute lies. I never had an issue with an ankle monitor. That's the reason that I went there. And the fact that they can put that down and use that in an affidavit and then bring it before Judge Hellerstein, who turned around and said, I'm not buying any of it. If you read Hellerstein's you know, response from the bench, I mean, he basically did exactly what you know i was hoping for which is to say that this was pure retaliation i mean the president of the united states and the attorney general cannot retaliate against a citizen who wants to publish a book because it's not in their opinion they never read the book that it's not going to be complimentary to the president i mean stifle someone's first amendment right and nobody wants to make an issue where are all of my democratic friends where are all of our representatives who are now demanding an an investigation into Bill Barr's uh, and Donald Trump's weaponization of our Justice Department to target a U.S. citizen. What happened to them? Well, you know, uh, time to move on to the next thing. Let's talk about, you know, the insurrection. Let's talk about the fact that, you know, the Republicans now have decided that there will be no insurrection commission, right? And this brings me up to my next question to you, because my feeling is the only way to break the fever of this is to break the filibuster, right? How does Biden and his fellow Democrats deal with, you know, Senators Manchin and Cinema, who seem to be the last holdouts and wish to occupy some ridiculous middle ground where bipartisanship still exists? And then here's my here's my thought on to this. And I want you to answer it again. I know Donald Trump and I know his nature and I know what he's thinking. Filibuster. The fuck out of you, filibuster. I have executive privilege. I can do whatever I want. You know the expression, the pen is mightier than the sword? Yeah, and I'm Donald Trump. And, and I can do whatever I want. I'm the president of the United States. I'm the president of the world. And this is what he wanted to do, right? He wants to be able to take executive orders and to do whatever he wants. And the son of a bitch got away with it. He got away with it. And now you have Joe Biden sitting there with everybody. No, no, no. Bipartisanship. Kumbaya, my lord, kumbaya. Let's all sit down by a fire and let's roast some marshmallows and make, you know, some s'mores and try to all just get along. Can't we all just fucking get along? And the answer is no, you can't because they're so entrenched into this Trumpism, this cult of Trump, that they, most of them don't know how to break out of it because they're afraid to lose their position. That's the problem. They're afraid for their own jobs. And that's not what it's supposed to be. Well, I mean, I leave it to Democrats to always bring a noodle to a gunfight. Right. I mean, that's just the way they've always been. They're not the toughest characters out there, unfortunately. And I think, again, I take it back to and I, I said this earlier and I'll say it again. I worry about our republic, not just because the Republican Party has deteriorated into an anti-democratic pro, you know, Putinite um, sort of nightmare of, of, of anti-democracy. But I worry about it because I'm not sure the Democrats understand what they're dealing with. And I think that they just think they can go back to this era, which, by the way, only worked because it was basically just a bunch of old white guys. Right. It was all white guys. When 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 Joe Biden was able to deal with the Strom Thurmond's of the world, 
of course you can do business with them. You're a white guy, he's a white guy. There was really nothing demographically different from your backgrounds enough that you had deep-rooted differences in terms of what the country nostalgically was supposed to be, right? Now you have a diverse, vibrant Senate and had to, Senate's not so diverse, but you have a diverse, vibrant country. You have a house of representatives that represent every sort of, every racial and regional, and it's just a more vibrantly diverse country. And so you can't go back to that, everybody smoke a cigar, you know, in the, in the, in the back room of the bar and make deals. It doesn't work like that, but they still want to go back to that. And Democrats really seem to think that that's possible. That world is dead. It's gone. And, and I don't know how to wake D.C. Democrats up to understand that that world is gone. Right. And, and I worry that people like Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin, because, look, they 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 won't suffer in the world Republicans want to make. Let's just be honest. There's nothing at stake for them. Right. They, they at least in their own mind, they seem to think they'd be fine in that world and that they could live with it. You know, I can't live with it. You know, I, I, in a world in which you have essentially an autocracy, a minority rule, that's South Africa in the 80s. And I can't live with it. And I, and I just don't know what to do to explain to people who apparently think they can live in that world that the rest of us can't. The rest of us won't be able to be in that America. And I don't, I don't think there's anything that moves them because they don't have an emotional connection to what, this, what would be lost. I do because my mother came from a country that had a president for 24 years. And my father came from the land of Mobutu. And so I know what Mobutuism is because my father explained it to me while he was living there. And we were getting calls from him from South Africa, where he worked at the time during apartheid because he worked in the minerals industry. So I have a very firsthand familial acquaintance with what non-democratic rule looks like. And it means poverty for the vast majority of people. It means no free press. It means not being able to speak against the government. It means all of your liberties are gone. And it means never having a different president for decades. And if Americans think that's okay, if Christian Cinema and Joe Manchin think it's okay to live in that world, I don't know what to tell them. I don't have an argument for them anymore. I've got nothing. And they don't seem to give a damn. And that's what worries me. You know, it's funny you brought up South Africa. It's also I have that written in my book, Disloyal, and something I've talked to you about as well. Forgetting what we talked about at the beginning when I said that blacks and Hispanics, according to Trump, were too stupid to vote for him. Look at what he said about Nelson Mandela. I mean, if that in and of itself is not enough in order to wake up the country, and I'm not talking about waking up white America. I'm talking about waking up America. Folks, Nelson Mandela is not somebody who Donald Trump should have the right to disparage, right? After, right after he, you know, Nelson Mandela passed, the first thing that he said is, Michael, name a country that's run by a black that's not a shithole. Well, I said the United States of America. And at that time, Barack Obama was president. He looked at me and he goes, really? Fuck you. And, and, and this, this is exactly how the conversation went. And I'm sitting there, I'm saying to myself, you've got to be kidding. No, I don't think America is a shithole. Nor did I think that South Africa was a shithole. Did it have its problems? Sure it did, as does, as does every country. There are issues in every country. What, do you think that right now the United States of America doesn't have an issue? We sure do, right? And every single day, every single day we're seeing it. We're seeing the repercussions of four years under Donald Trump and this cult of Trumpism, this ideology that is so flawed that if this was happening in your house, you would, you would turn around and you'd give your kid a time out. 
and say, this is just unacceptable behavior. But this is the United States of America with the biggest baby in the world at the, at the helm, right? For the former president. I mean, just crazy. I love to grill. What man doesn't? But as someone unable to attend backyard barbecues because of my um, current arrangement with the federal government, I have to find a way to bring the party to me. That means throwing a bunch of Omaha steaks on the grill and making the neighbors drool with jealousy. It's also ridiculously easy. No need to even leave your home, which is good, because I can't. And Omaha delivers everything directly to me. I get restaurant-quality cuts from Omaha's ridiculously big get-out-and-grill assortment, which has enough meat in there to feed an army. I'm not kidding, folks. It was like something out of the Flintstones without the Brontosaurus burgers. But I really can't get enough of their 30-day-aged 10-ounce New York strip steaks, damn it. I'm hungry already. Now that summer's almost here, that means Father's Day is around the corner. So go to omahasteaks.com, type Cohen in the search bar, and order Dad the Get Out and Grill assortment. Right now, this package is 59% off and includes 20 entrees that he's guaranteed to love, like the ultra-juicy burgers, plump chicken breasts, Desserts, sides, and four 10-ounce butcher-cut New York strips. These strips are aged for 30 days. And why is that important? Age equals tenderness. Plus, you get four free New York strip burgers with your order. It's selling out fast, so don't wait, and definitely don't miss out. Omaha Steaks isn't just steak. It's the best steak of your life. So visit omahasteaks.com, keyword Cohen, and get Dad the Get Out and Grill assortment, plus four free New York strip burgers, and 59% off today. Send Dad more than just a gift. Send him an experience he'll love that he can share with you. Now, let me just move forward for a sec. Mike Murphy was speaking yesterday about how the GOP's assault on voter rights happening across the country will actually backfire. That their legislation, while racist, ugly, and regressive, won't be enough to counter what will be a massive turnout against them for the midterms, and in the end, that they will have once again punched themselves out. Is this just wishful thinking, or will the Democrats be able to turn out voters in record numbers to counter this assault? So, you know, there's a, we talk about South Africa, there's a great song, one of my favorite songs, uh, popular musical songs that came out during apartheid. Um, it's called Something Inside So Strong. And the lyrics to it say, the higher you build your barriers, the taller I become. The farther you take my rights away, the faster I will run. And, you know, the, the movement for freedom um, in South Africa for the Black majority built itself in a lot of ways off of the American civil rights movement in the 1960s. They had a lot of connection and they had a lot of cross-correspondence with the Kingian movement. And I do believe that despite the D.C. Democrats, who I don't think are being are, are having a very effective response to what the, the anti-democratic, small-D democratic forces outside of Washington there is an anger, Michael, there is an outrage that is building out there, not just among Black Americans, among Black Americans, Brown Americans, Asian Americans who are getting the crap kicked out of them for no reason because Donald Trump decided to code and mark uh, the, the COVID pandemic as China. And then anyone who's Asian 
in appearance gets gets attacked because of it. It's vicious what he did. You know, people who are LGBT, people who want to defend their marriage rights, people who are parents of trans kids, we're getting the crap kicked out of them now legislatively across the country just to raise money. You know, you got DeSantis using it as a fundraiser to like meet up on these little kids that aren't doing anything but trying to like play soccer, you know. And I think that there's such an anger that's being built out there that the the anger we're not getting out of our representatives in Washington, and except for some of them, some of the House, the ones in the House are giving it to us, but the ones in the Senate ain't, ain't giving it to us, but we're getting it in the states. And I, we have right now five, maybe even six black women who are going to be running statewide in the, in Southern states for either Senate or governor. You're going to have Stacey Abrams on the ballot in Georgia. You're going to have Val Demings on the ballot in Florida. You've got black women running in North Carolina, South Carolina, setting aside that, just the fact that you're going to have them, you might have Beto O'Rourke, you know, a, a populist on the good side of populism candidate, maybe running in Texas, maybe, you know, fingers crossed. I think a lot of people think you have Katie Hobbs in Arizona, a woman who has stood up to this bananas fake recount. The people in the states are ready to fight. And I think Mike is not wrong. I think you're going to see now that you have an exposed Republican Party that is pure Trumpist cult, there is no redeeming value left in it. Even Republican friends of mine say they're washing their hands of it. They Some of them won't leave the party formally because they're like, I'm not going to let these people drive me out. I want them to go. I don't want to go. So I have friends like that who are staying in the party nominally but they ain't going to vote for none of these people. And so the reality is they might actually find out that they they expose a little too much, that they tried a little too hard to restrict people from voting and people are willing to get taller to go over them damn barriers and willing to get faster to outrun the bullshit. And so I think what they might find out is that they have pissed off the real majority because they may think they're the majority, but they need to learn how to do math because there are more of us than there are of them. And if we get our folks to vote, they're done. And once they're out, we're not going to let them back in. Well, one of the things I say all the time is that the Democrat, uh, the DNC, they don't know how to fight like Trump. And I have called, I've called upon them and said, you want me to show you how you fight? I'll show you how to fight. I'll show you how to fight smarter, better, um, and more um, definitively than Trump and the Republicans do. They just fight dirty, but I know how to fight dirtier and smarter than they do. Now, just one last thing when it relates to the LGBT, you know, Q community. You know, I remember sitting there and, you know, we wanted to bring them in in order to um, show them that Trump doesn't, you know, that he's not uh, prejudiced or uh, and, and so on. And I remember him. He goes, I just don't understand them. I don't get it. I just don't. I don't get it. I, I don't want them here. And I said, wait, wait, one second. First of all, each one of them counts as a vote. Why do you care? In other words, you know, uh, when he would see people that he knows um, who are, um, you know, homosexual, he would say, I don't I don't get it. I said, but you're not supposed to get it. You're supposed to respect their opinion. You're not supposed to get it. So he's like, I, you know, it's it's just it's not my world. Right. And I'm like, well, neither is giving birth to a child. And we would have these sort of conversations. Listen, I could not nor could he, nor could any man understand what it feels like to give birth. No more than you could feel like, know what it's like to be a Tyrannosaurus Rex. You just can't, <laughs> right? You just can't. So why do you have to put yourself into it? Because it's all about him. That's the whole thought. It's his feelings, his opinion. And, you know, I was like, why do you care who somebody goes home to? What does it have to do with you? Nothing. 
right? But just allow them to live their life the way you want to live your life. But, you know, I want to move on to something here. In response to the news that Facebook, Instagram suspended Trump from their platforms until 2023 and will only permit his return, and it is a quote, if conditions permit, you tweeted out the following, and I quote your tweet, how ironic Facebook, of all organizations, is now officially doing more to protect our democracy and to thwart what FBI Director Ray has called the greatest domestic terrorism threat we face than the entire federal government. Discuss with my listeners what you meant here and what you believe to be currently lacking in the Biden administration's response to these issues. Well, I mean, the the bottom line is that, you know, in 2016, Facebook was the primary uh, means that Donald Trump and his trolls, including the Russian trolls who were trying to help him win, used to peddle disinformation in order to crush the vote for Hillary Clinton and to encourage people to vote for him. The misinformation field was vast, but it was it was narrow in that it was mainly Facebook and Twitter. And so Facebook and Twitter have now taken more direct action to shut off the valve of misinformation and disinformation than anybody else, right? There's been no prosecution related to what he did in 2016, him attempting to strong arm the government of Ukraine in 2020, you know, his obstruction of justice that, you know, fed off of what he did in 2016, He's been held to no account um, by any federal or state law enforcement authority, at least not yet. We're waiting for what happens with Cy Vance and uh, Tish James and also the case in Georgia. But up to now, no one has done anything to shut down his ability to misinform and disinform and feed the beast of violent white nationalism um, that does is, according to FBI Director Christopher Wray, is the biggest terrorist threat in the country right now. And he can't feed it now because he's off Twitter and Facebook. And thank God for that. They're also changing their policy so that politicians no longer have an exemption from the normal rules in terms of moderation. And so that means that at least part of the the, the sickness of QAnon, cultism, and Trumpism is cut off from the main body politic. People can still get it if they sign up for Gab or whatever other sort of far-right medium they want to, but it's more narrow and it's not hitting the mainstream the way it did before. That is a huge service. In terms of what the federal government should be doing, do something, Justice Department. This guy is a threat to the, the, the homeland. I hate that term, the homeland. You know, he's a threat. And he's no one else is countering it except the social media companies. I think it's a rather sad commentary on our our country right now. You know, I, too, have called for this administration. Everybody thinks that this podcast, Mea Culpa, that every time I come on somebody's show, yours included, that I'm there to bash Donald Trump. And that's not what this show is about. That's not what I'm about. I'm calling I'm calling the truth the truth. I'm not hiding behind Donald Trump's message, which is what got me incarcerated. They ask a question. I am giving an honest, truthful and legitimate response to the question that they're asking. Now, people in the street constantly attack me, say, you know, you're a rat. You, you know, they they parrot what Donald Trump had said. And I don't particularly care. There was one woman who did it to me in Central Park. I videotape her. Yesterday, as I was walking, there was a young boy who did it. And, you know, I just, I just walked past. Under normal circumstances, you know, you'd like to stand your ground. But there's no point. As my mom would always say, you can't argue with stupid, right? So, you know, one of the things that I I always say when we're talking about this this whole issue with the Biden administration just being so lax and so 
weak on, and I'm going to be critical of this administration as well. They are being lax and weak in terms of dealing with Donald Trump. Now, my last question to you is we're wrapping this up. We talk a lot about the district attorney and the attorney general's cases now here in New York against Trump, his eponymous company, and so on. Is it going to take Cyrus Vance Jr., Tish James, our attorney general, in order to incarcerate Donald Trump, in order to destroy this concept of extremism and this cult of Trump that he has put onto such a large portion of our country? Is that what it's going to take? I think so. I mean, uh, because I think the Biden administration is so careful and afraid of looking like they're persecuting the former president. Remember when Trump was chanting, lock her up in 2016, a lot of us had like, again, Mobutu vibes because, you know, if you used to run against Mobutu Sese Seiko in the, in the Congo, you got locked up. <laughs> you weren't allowed to run against him. Go ahead and try to campaign, but you were going to end up in prison, right? I mean, look in Russia. You run against Vladimir Putin, you get persecuted, you might get poisoned. You know, you, 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 all of that might happen to you. You might end up dead. And so in an autocracy, you really are not allowed to run against the official party. Um, but also, I think Biden is worried about looking like they're doing sort of the, that in reverse, right? That Trump is already out of office. I, I remember talking to a um, a state, uh, uh, like not an attorney general, but a, pro- a state prosecutor in Florida years, years ago, when there were all these corruption cases. And in one of the corruption cases, um, the person who was being targeted resigned from office. And then they let it go. And I was like, "What? why did you do that? And this person said that when somebody is committing public corruption, what you want is for them not to be able to do it anymore. More, and that you don't necessarily always put a person in prison. You get the you get the threat to go away by making them resign. And so, the, in their mind, in that particular individual case, it was a local sort of corruption case down in, in Florida. They felt like that solved the problem by getting this person out of power. I don't agree with that sentiment, but that's what the way a lot of prosecutors think. And I feel like because of the mindset of Democrats in general, and I don't know what party Merrick Garland, you know, is he, I don't know what his, his ideology is, but I think they're being so careful because they don't want to look like they're doing the autocrat thing of trying to do lock her up, but lock her up, meaning lock him up, Donald Trump, uh, in a way that's sort of, you know, for revenge. So I think that we're going to have to count more on the state prosecutions, the Cy Vance, Tish James, and the prosecutor, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name in Georgia, to give accountability to this guy. Because honestly, I think the biggest way to stop the threat is to put Donald Trump in so much legal jeopardy that he doesn't have time to campaign, that he doesn't have time to fundraise or to fulminate. Now he can't get on social media, thank God, to pretty much lock him up in terms of getting him off the scene. Because we already know Republicans, look, Lindsey Graham, if Donald Trump was decrepit and and half dead, would be dragging him out on stage because he thinks that Donald Trump, even in his most decrepit form, is the only way for his party to stay in power. People like him and Mitch McConnell think Donald Trump is their perfect cover. Because what they really want to do is keep us from getting gun reform, to keep us from getting health care, to keep us from getting anything for the ordinary average person. And the perfect cover is this fake populist who people on the base like. People on the base don't like Mitch McConnell. People on the base don't care about Lindsey Graham. They care about these ideological, you know, cancel culture and cultural crap. And Trump is the perfect cover man for them. So they're never going to let him go. I swear, he'll be like Fidel Castro. He'll have been dead 20 years and they'll still be pretending he's still alive. 
and saying that he's going to be on tour any day now. Just please come to the arena and vote for Republicans. They're never going to let him go. He is their perfect cover. And the last thing I will say um, uh, to you, Michael, is that I am so embarrassed that this country that my mother and father came to in the 1960s thinking this was like the ideal in terms of a great democracy where there's opportunity, that this country with all of its history, bad history as well as good, would elect that guy to be president of the United States. How do we ever explain to our grandchildren, to anybody in any other country, how in the hell we let somebody like that be our president? I think my biggest fear is that the DNC is not fighting the way that they need to. If they want to remain um, in power, if they want to remain relevant, and I really mean this, despite the fact that, you know, we have the White House, you know, um, and so on, um, they need to live up to their own mantra. And what was the mantra of the, de- of the Democrats? No one is above the law. They are giving Donald Trump a pass. So I don't, and I would not recommend to Biden to think about what people will think about. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. If the man committed a crime and you can show it to the American people, you charge his fat ass for that crime. You put it into an orange jumpsuit and you send him to where he belongs because doing nothing is not the right way in order to build your party. This kumbaya bullshit has to stop. They have to turn around. They have to really get tough. And you're right. They're leaving it up to the DA and the AG. And now you have Rudy Giuliani with, and now you have with Judge Jones with the, you know, the multitude of documents that she's going to have to look through for attorney client privilege. And none of them is going to be withheld. And you're going to be able to use those documents and other documents and stuff that's already there in the system that if FOIA would get their act together and they would start giving out the information instead of constantly hiding behind, you know, um, privilege and redactions, you would end up seeing that this man is a fucking criminal to the nth degree. He ran it like God he was running the Gambino family. That's It's the truth. And he needs to be held accountable just like anybody else where no one is above the law. So Joy, let me thank you. I told you the hour goes by fast. You and I both need to take our blood pressure medication. Um, (laughs) I... (laughs) And listen, I'm going to end this by saying thank you, Michael, and go Knicks. I'm a long-suffering Knicks fan. I think you are, too. So we're going to still root for them, even when they they break our hearts over and over again. That's very true. Joy, thank you so much. And um, I'll be seeing you soon on your show. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. And now for today's mea culpa. In thinking about my conversation today with Joy Reid, I wanted to reaffirm something I said at the end of the hour. This show is more than just an opportunity to bash Donald Trump. Sure, it's fun and it's good for a laugh as we point out his pettiness, narcissism, and delusion. But I do so as a means to an end. That's to speak the truth even if it points out the failures of our own leaders and to illustrate the fragility of our current system and how close we are to seeing it torn apart. The fact that a person doing so is an absolute joke of a human being makes it all the more sad. Not that I wish we had a more worthy adversary, but Trump is also just a vessel to the undercurrent swirling in our toxic system, the lies, conspiracy, and fetishizing of violence. The need to push back against progress and the cries of victimhood are all part of the vast MAGA underbelly, Sure, Trump feeds into it with his bullshit, 
but we must also deal with the fact that the sickness is inside ourselves as well. You have to want to believe the lies you're being fed. Nobody is forcing these thoughts inside of our heads. We are willing accomplices, and there are millions of Americans who want this to go further and become more violent. They truly want a Myanmar-style coup, and they will likely show up again to the Capitol this August at Trump's instigation. But we are also not powerless. As I said earlier, we need to stop pretending that it will just go away and start fighting back by demanding action from our leaders. President Biden needs to step up and take off the gloves and really get into the fight. Stop pretending that there is some path to bipartisanship and do what's right for the American people before it's too late. Because if we don't, we'll be explaining to future generations how we let this shit happen. I'd rather tell them how we stopped it in its tracks. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. Hey, movie lovers, who needs a theater when you have Pluto TV? Grab your popcorn and your streaming device because free movies are here. Pluto TV is your home for movies. Great movies are playing anytime in over 20 exclusive movie channels of action, horror, rom-coms, and more. Watch hits like Saving Private Ryan, Pretty in Pink, and Charlie's Angels all for free. No signups, no fees, no contracts. Ever. Download the free Pluto TV app on any device. (laughs) 